What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wander and Will Lomas. If this is your first time listening to the show, or if you've listened before and you're ready to just jump all the way in and get all the no-nonsense in your life that you possibly can, why don't you follow us on social media? You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, at No Nonsense Pod. Additionally, if you would like easier and faster access to all of our new episodes every Wednesday, you can subscribe to or follow the show on whatever platform you list, you use to listen. We've got a lot to go over today because the Titans open training camp on the day that this episode will be released on Wednesday. And we've got an exciting episode to open the gate of training camp with you all today. Ben Arthur, the new Titans beat writer for the Tennessean, will be joining us. We will talk to him about his impressions of the Titans as an outsider. We will also go through, as we teased last week, the Tannehill ranking game with Ben Arthur, as we will all of our guests during preseason and training camp. We're going to talk about position groups that we're focused on during training camp. We're going to talk about the physically unable to perform list, who's on it, who's not. We're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the AFC South because there have been some interesting developments, specifically with the Colts and the Texans as of late. And we will conclude by looking at which positions on the roster have maybe the most spots up for grabs. Guys, let's start with that first question. And this is going to be uh, the first in a new installment to the No Nonsense podcast. And that is our question of the week. Every episode from this point forward, we will have a question that the three of us will discuss. 
And we're also going to ask for you to give us your opinions. If you're a social media user, you can tweet us your opinion at No Nonsense. You can send us a Facebook message or leave us a Facebook comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash pod. You can also email us if you're not a social media person. Email nonsense at gmail.com is where you can reach us. This week's question, which position group are you most focused on slash excited about heading into training camp? Matthias, your thoughts. Focused on? I'm very intrigued by the tight end situation that, that's going on on the team because Jeff Swaim isn't necessarily a starter, but he's a decent backup. Anthony Ferguson has never been a full-time starter, uh, and we know he has some limitations uh, as a blocker. Uh, although he's a fantastic receiver, and we'll see how much responsibility he's given uh, as a full-time player because we have to replace a lot of snaps. Like, John, who played a lot of snaps last year, uh, and it's not easily replaceable. Michael Pruitt played a good amount of snaps, and he's not back with the team. So then you're going to be relying on, assuming the offense is similar and the same amount of tight end sets are put onto the field, we're going to see a lot of Jared Pinckney or Briley Moore or Tommy Hudson or Miller Forstall. And we just don't know a lot about these players. Like we know about their their college uh, production and we know about their 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 college um, performances, but they've never done anything in the NFL. And it's it's not necessarily concerning. Uh, but it's definitely something to keep an eye for, and I'd like to see who's going to come out of that group because uh, a, a couple of them, Forrestal and Briley Moore, seem to have a little more potential than the other two. Uh, I, I know Will has talked about them in the past, so that's def- definitely the position I have my eye on. Yeah, uh, for me, it's tough because... I really need to know what kind of scheme they're going to be running before anything else. Cause I'd like to see the alignment of the defensive tackles, like specifically how they use Danico Autry, but just in terms of the position I'm most interested in it's cornerback because I don't think there's a right answer for which three corners should be on the field. I think they have so many talented guys, like if they're healthy, you know, always that asterisk in there, but like Caleb Farley should be a boundary corner. Like he he can probably follow anywhere, and like he could probably match up with tight ends because of his size and his speed. Like he can probably do all the stuff you want him to do just as a wild card. But you really want to invest in a guy that's going to lock down on the boundary. So I think he's going to get one of the boundary spots. Norris Jenkins was having a good camp. You know he like they brought him in to be the veteran. Vrabel defaults to veteran leadership, and I think that's why they brought him in is to be that guy on the field to replace what they lost in Logan Ryan. So I think he's going to get on the field. And then it's is Christian Fulton just too good to leave like on the sideline when he's healthy because he was probably their best corner last year, other than Malcolm Butler, and probably their best defensive back other than Malcolm Butler when Fulton was healthy. Or do you bring in somebody like Elijah Molden who is a rookie, but he's such a like refined, smart football IQ guy who can play. He can be your dime safety. He could be a slot corner. Like he he can do so many different. Like he can like line up so many different ways, and you can use him in such interesting ways. And he's not afraid to like if it's 
third and four and you're worried that they might run a draw or something or they might run a counter and just try to run it at you because you got your nickel on the field molden is not a guy who's going to shy away from contact so i mean he'll create the pile and let somebody else make the play and that and vrabel is going to love that when he sees him on the field so i don't know how they're going to get everybody out on the field and if 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 you know they're all healthy i just don't know what they're going to do i'm going to agree with you will that's a Statement I don't make very often on this. I think podcast. So that's weird. Like we may have to stop recording. For, for for me, it's the defensive backs. I think you nailed everything with the defensive backs. And, and as we'll talk about when Ben Arthur comes on, you know this is a defense that has a lot of new pieces, but but in the secondary more than anywhere else because you, you lose Kenny Vaccaro, Malcolm Butler, Dory Jackson, Christian Fulton was there last year, but he didn't play very much. So it's not like he's locked in with Kevin Byard or, or, or any of these other guys. And, and you brought up the names of several new pieces that are in this secondary. You know, Monty Hooker didn't start last year. He's been around, but he hadn't been a starter. And then Janoris Jenkins, Caleb Farley, Elijah Molden. So I'm really interested to watch the communication. And that's something that, you know, now that we get to do in-person interviews again, that's something that I plan to, to constantly be talking to these guys about is where is the communication? Is it getting better? Because last year it was complained about so much. And I'll be interested to see when these guys start to get on the same page and start having to or, or getting to think less and, and simply act more. We want to hear, as we said a minute ago, what you all think. What position group are you most interested in watching or focusing on in training camp for the Titans this year? Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, or over email, if that is how you would prefer to reach us. Moving on, let's talk about the pup list. Will, you brought up Caleb Farley, who, after the draft, rebuked in the name of Jesus that he would not be ready to go for training camp. Well, I think he just broke the third commandment, do not take the name of your Lord in vain, because he's not ready for training camp. Caleb Farley will start training camp on the physically unable to perform list, along with Bud Dupree, Ty Sambrilo, and there's one other name that I can't remember, which means it's clearly not terribly significant. McNichols. Jeremy McNichols, yes, I was right. It was not significant at all. Um, <laughs> How dare you? Y'all are both correct. <laughs> but uh, McNichols is a uh, podcast favorite. So, What do we make of this, guys? Is this to be alarmed? Should we have expected this all along? Does it matter? Like, what do we think? We probably should have expected it, but I think we were hoping that uh, this wouldn't be the case and that, that he'd be ready uh, just because he expressed so much confidence in his uh, post-draft um, like conference interview, whatever it was like when he was on his phone in the car uh, and, and then the press conference where he said that uh, that he would be ready. But clearly he's not. I, I'm not concerned, uh, mostly because I feel OK about the other defensive backs, even if Farley uh, is slow to progress. Uh, and, and we've seen this before. I mean, it happened with Jeffrey Simmons. His rookie year, he didn't start playing until midway through the year. Um, and the defense kind of treaded water, at least at that position, uh, until it came along. And, and I think the team is set up for that to happen, uh, especially if Elijah Bolden plays as well as we think he could. 
uh, because Janoris Jenkins is going to be solid. Christian Fulton in his second year should be a little better than than last year, which he wasn't bad last year. Uh, he was at least serviceable, and we think he'll be better. So if Farley isn't ready for the beginning of the season, uh, I think the Titans could, could get by, especially because, I mean, they, they, they the defense was not good last year, uh, and it should be better just because of some of the other position groups uh, being improved, and hopefully the coaching staff uh, will have a better scheme in place. So I'm not overly concerned, and I'm kind of expecting Farley not to play the first couple of weeks of the season and for them to bring him along slowly, which which they should. I mean, I mean, they invested a first-round pick in him. There's no need to rush him, uh, especially in an even longer season with 17 games uh, this year. I'm going to push back on that just a little bit, and this is partially me playing devil's advocate. We've had the conversation on here before about how slow the Titans have been under Vrabel to get rookies out there. And it almost feels like hand-holding to an extent. You know, other than A.J. Brown and Jeffrey Simmons gets an excuse because he was hurt, a lot of these guys, it was, well, come on, buddy, you know, here here you go. Uh, just let him play. And, and I know Farley's different because he's injured, but Will, do you think there's like, a, a line you have to hit with that. So, what what do you mean a line? Like a line between coddling and you know, yeah. Farley, okay. Farley's a little bit of a different case, but still, like I don't want this. You know, as an objective observer of the Titans, or even you know, if I'm a fan, I'm not. I don't want this to drag out to Week Ten, where we're sitting like with a Dory last year. We're sitting there every week. Is this the week Caleb Farley's going to play? Nope. See you in October. You know, that can't happen, as far as I'm concerned. Well, so it really all just depends on who you have backing them up, and we've talked about how talented they are at corner. So, like, it's sort of different because this is John Robinson saying, okay. If y'all are going to preach best player available, I'll take best player available. Like, it's like, but, you know, like, you can't complain when he doesn't get on the field. And I, I know that's not what he's saying, but the move in itself was we think that Caleb Farley is going to be the best cornerback in this class. And if he doesn't start until week six, that's fine. We don't have any concerns about him long term. Now, from a micro perspective on, like, if I'm – Mike Vrabel and he's healthy. Do I put him out there? To me, once he's healthy, you, you let him go. Like you let him play. Yeah, exactly. And you don't. It, the The problem I have is, and it's stuck in my head. I can't stop thinking about it. It's when I think it was Wizenhunt. It was either Wizenhunt or Malarkey. But I'm pretty sure it's Wizenhunt. Kept talking about the running backs and their feet and all this dumb stuff with when, <laughs> when he kept trying to describe why he wouldn't play people. I have no and memory so, of that. Yeah, it was. I think it was a Wizenhunt quote where it was like uh, about who Sankey. Well, I was going to say I also want to say it was Malarkey on Henry more playing time. It was because like his steps didn't look right in practice or something, which whatever. But it's, it's the same so thing you're going to hear. Yeah, it's it's just it's overthinking it because I I would I would bet that nobody on the team except for maybe Will Compton knew the defensive playbook better than Jonathan Joseph last year. 
but he was so slow and physically unable to do stuff that it didn't matter. Jo- so, Jonathan Joseph should have been on the physically unable to perform list. Yeah. Because he yeah, was. He, he, fit the, he fit the classification. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like more more directly to your point, like let's just talk about Caleb Farley. Like it's not important for him to be on the field week one. Like I know, I know that contradicts a little bit of what I'm saying, but we also heard the whole time and we've heard from – you know, quote unquote, Twitter doctors and all that. And everybody who's talked about his injury is it's not a long-term injury as long as he doesn't rush back on the field. And so if you're telling me he has to sit out training camp and then he's able to start practicing fully and everything in week one, and he's on the field in week three or four, that, that doesn't, yeah, that that doesn't bother me. Well, and like, that's, that, that, that's exactly what happened with AJ Brown. And, and I, yeah. And we always use him as sort of the poster child for this is what a rookie should look like if they're actually good. I should not yeah. have to wait until week 10 to figure out if a rookie is any good. Well, you know, with with A.J. Brown, he had a hamstring hurt in training camp. First game was a 100-yard game. Simmons, you know, torn ACL or what, healed from it. First game, he had a sack. Manhandled the Chargers. the Chargers. Yeah, so it's like, as long as the reason why they're waiting is so that they can get that version of that guy on the field, no problem. I don't I don't care at all. You take your time. If you want to coddle Nate Davis and make sure he's ready so that he can go out there and really help and improve the offensive line and then be the guy the next year, cool. Like I, I don't mind that. What I don't want is what happened with Rashawn Evans, which is Guy gets a training camp injury where he's got a hamstring. He kind of gets set back. He's not in the playbook enough, and then he's not fully healthy, and he also doesn't really know what he's doing in his first year. That That's the worst of both worlds, but that, that rarely happens. So as long as you're holding him out because he's not 100% healthy and you know that he can be a game-changing talent when he is 100% healthy, you're deep enough at corner for it not to matter for Farley. But – Again, that's a very specific example. Ask me next year with our first-round pick, and it may be completely different. But it just speaks to how well the roster is built that you don't have to have that guy. And it's not like, here's a 40-year-old guy who might be able to hold up in a pinch. It's like, you know, I think uh, Jenkins has had at least like three interceptions, two or three interceptions and like 10 pass breakups or something crazy for like – every year in his career, including last year. Like he's been consistently productive as the number two. And I think I think using him as the number two and Fulton as the number one with help and Elijah Molden, I think that's fine. So I think there's options there. I don't think they're locked into a, to a bad scenario if he doesn't play. So and my understanding is Pup, you can get off of it whenever. Like Correct. he could he could come in in a week and he could be there and he could play in the first preseason game. Like I, I mean, he, he could real. practice on Thursday, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. so, like, it, Pup is not a scary, like, oh, you know, no. he's not going to be with us. So, like, just, just uh, right now, I think it's a good wait-and-see approach. Macias, what do you think? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. The The thing I, I found interesting is he's on the non-football injury list. Yeah, that, that's because the injury occurred not in the NFL. No. I got we, you. we should have been more specific on that. He, he's technically – the lists essentially serve the same purpose. 
Yeah, because Bur- Burrow was on that list too. Will's favorite uh, backup backup interior lineman. He's he's legitimately good. <laughs> uh, he'll he'll get cut like Corey Levin for one of Mike Vrabel's like pet <laughs> projects, and it'll. Piss I forgot me about off, Corey Levin. Je- Jeffrey man, Je- Jeffrey Simmons was also on NFI because his injury was pre-NFL. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm okay with them waiting. Uh, if it wasn't a back injury, which is kind of scary because like that could linger with you for forever honestly like if it really goes bad uh if it wasn't a back injury i'd probably be a little more on your side luke where you know don't coddle them mm-hmm. but i i don't i would well, just would not risk it, especially because the team is so talented and we saw with even a really awful defense last year the offense could carry the team and they ended up making the playoffs anyway so being without Farley for a stretch of time probably isn't the death blow um, that it could be maybe to other teams. Yeah, and that's not even necessarily the, the side I'm on. Like I said, some of this is, is playing devil's advocate and, and just having this discussion about the principle of the thing. I just don't want, like I said earlier, I'll reiterate this. You remember the Adore Jackson saga last year. So you're going to play this week, and then it got to what? It was December against the Packers, and he looked like a lost child at Walmart. Like, that's what I don't want to happen. To me, yeah. the, the best example of this is uh, when Jeff Fisher did it with Kenny Britt. Like, that's that's what I'll always go back to, and that's, that's an older school reference for everybody. But I don't think that Kenny Britt played significant snaps until, like, week eight when he – and this was – it's not because there were just too many talented receivers in front of him. And Kenny Britt, people forget Kenny Britt was very good when he was healthy in his rookie contract before he got hurt in that Denver game. So I think it was more of a you have to pay your dues and you have to learn your place. And that that's a problem. I hate that. I that. Think, yeah, I hate that's, that. that is an old school dumb thing that hurt the Tennessee Titans when Jeff Fisher was the coach. So like, I, like that, I, I, I'm not for that. If you're an attitude problem, okay. But like if you're just like, well, we've got – you know, just engage, you know, ahead of you. So you can't like, you can't play because he's been here for two years longer than you. Like that's, that's not an acceptable reason. So if it's that, if it's like, you you know, you, you're a rookie, you'll go when I tell you to go, then I, I disavow that. That's, that's a dumb way to handle it. But again, if it's health and if it's like this, you know, you're rolling the dice where there's a 2% chance that it might knock two or three years off of his career if you do this. And it's like, well, let's just sit him out and let the other guys play. You don't just, dis- uh, you I, don't, you don't, you don't just disavow it, Will. You rebuke it in the name of Jesus. That's right. I do think they're going to be very cautious, though, with him just because he he's supposed to be their cornerback one of the future, but also because they saw what happened with Darrington Evans last year that he was so. Uh, often injured and off again and, and off again. So I don't know. I mean, they're, they're always like this, but I, I think they have a good reasoning for it. I hope so, at least. Uh, and hopefully Farley could get back out there I- as soon as possible. Look, like my, my tune might change after week one, and Kyler Murray puts up 400 yards on on our cornerback. No. Like, my tune might change for sure. I don't want to put that in the world. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> if it does happen, I'll probably be call- I'm probably going to be calling for Caleb Farley to be out there week two. Let's take a break from the Titans for just one second and work around the rest of the AFC South. Uh, 
so Garner Minshew went on Chris Long's podcast and said something along the lines of, I haven't been pooping lately to prepare for the competition with uh, Trevor Lawrence because you can't be number two or something. It was like a really bad dad joke. That guy's just very corny. I, I don't know. Can why we stop? We, Can we yeah. stop with him? Why is he always? Why is he so popular? It's because of his it's his the look. It's the persona. Oh, but but why? Why do people care about him so much? He's not even he's not even a starter anymore, and he sucked when when he was playing last year. I just don't. I don't. I don't get the appeal. Than I Nick really Foles. don't. Well, I mean, everyone is. <laughs> I mean. Are we just going to act like Gardner Minshew isn't a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did, do you not remember him tearing so, up the Titans defense on that one I, single I, drive that time? I, I think I've told this story on here before that last offseason, I wanted to get a gauge of like how Jaguars fans felt about him. Because I didn't feel good, but I was curious like what their take was. So I got on the Jags uh, subreddit and was like, hey, I'm a Titans reporter. What What's the Jags fan consensus on Baker Mayfield? And, like, you would have thought he was Peyton Manning with some of the comments that were left on that post. Quarterback blindness is a real thing. Like, <laughs> it, we we need to talk about that as a, as a former sufferer myself. Like, I, like, I love Mariota, and I think if given the right situation, he would have been a really good quarterback. But there is a point where you see a certain level of quarterback play for so long, and – you just think that you're unlucky that you have to go against so many great quarterbacks, but it turns out that really you just don't have an above average quarterback and you've been yeah. like, so like, what's the word? Like not hypnotized, but like you, you've just seen it so many times that you lose all sense of like calibration on, on like what good quarterback play is. So I, I just think the Jaguars are, they're the victim here. Like, it's their fault that they don't know what a good quarterback looks like. You know, they're going to mess up Trevor Lawrence, which sucks, but they're, they're, they're going to say that he's just about to take the next step for three years, then he'll demand a trade, and they'll lose him too. It's, I mean, it's going to be tough, Like, but, it, you know, I, I understand where they're coming from. Moving on to the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson showed up for training camp. He's also still got several lawsuits against him, and now people are complaining to the police as well, so criminal issues might be popping up. Is he going to play? I don't know. Like, what? what's going on there? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, he and, yeah, and knows. Like, I, think this, I mean, this could be a situation where he gets put on commissioner's exempt. I'm kind of surprised he hadn't already, to he be honest. Sh- he should be on there already, yeah. He's not going on there. I, it, I, I, I think it's 50-50. I, I, I'm with Will there. I don't know. I think that, it, you know, again, conspiracy theory stuff, but, like, I think the NFL has said, look, there's a quarterback on the open market. A team needs to the, the Texans want to trade him. A team will want to trade for him. We're not going to get in the way of that until there's actual litigation involved or not I guess not litigation, but there's like a verdict and like we know what he's, you know, what he actually did or didn't do or what the result of that case is, and until we know we're not going to punish him. Also, uh, if you want to trade for Deshaun Watson, do it, and we'll let you have this year, and then we'll deal with him later. Like that's that's the vibe I get. Is if they were going to do something, it would have been 
once the case was opened, once the evidence, you know, once the expose in Sports Illustrated came out, like it once all the evidence against him was out there two months ago when people were thinking about it instead of after, you know, June and July when we've all kind of forgotten about it because of the offseason, like if something was going to happen, it would have happened then. And they could have brought the brought that, you know, because it's just it it's up to the league's discretion. They can pull that back whenever they want to. Like all it takes is an appeal. So if they wanted to do that, they would have done it then when the iron was hot. They don't want to punish Deshaun Watson. Like they, they, they think Deshaun Watson is, you know, a marketable quarterback. They think he's going to get traded to a bigger franchise like the dolphins or like, uh, the Eagles, like one, one of their bigger cities. And, the conspiracy theorist in me and the capitalist in me says that this is all just because they want the most money that they can get. And that's the move they're going to make until they're forced to do something else. So I, not only do I think that he's not going to end up on that list, I'm pretty sure that he's done playing for the Texans regardless, and that he'll be on another team the first week of uh, the 2021 season. I mean, that that's absolutely insane. He has twenty two uh, lawsuits filed against him. But I think Will has a point about the the delay and the fact that nothing happened initially. Oh my God, I don't know. This is just, I've never seen a situation like you, this before. You know what I'm interested for? If he's practicing, he's going to have to talk to the media. He's not going to say anything. Yeah, but he's yeah. not practicing. Like they'll they'll like. He's just he's just there, like he it's like a hold in, right? Like he's gonna be at, Marshawn Lynch all over again. Yeah, yeah, like, but I mean, he like somebody did this last year too, where they went to practice and then they just like it, they were demanding a trade or a new deal or something, and they didn't talk to the media and didn't do anything until they got a new deal. I forget who it was, but I can't I can't think of anything. Yeah, that's it's been so long ago, but it's the the new CBA makes it to where you're punished harshly if you hold out and th- that money can't be recovered. But if you hold in quote unquote, and you go and you just, you know, don't practice, then you don't have to talk to the media. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to be in that building. And so I think he's just going to go in and hang on Instagram and then leave when he's done. Like, I think that's just the plan for him. Moving on to the final team in the AFC South that we've yet to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. I tweeted yesterday, quote, can someone please explain to me what is so exciting about the Colts? Uh, that tweet got 23 replies. A great deal of them talked about Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. Some of, <laughs> some of them talked about the, the defensive line and the running backs. I'm with them on the running backs. Defensive line minus Autry and Justin Houston will take a step back. But then like people talked about, well, they've got a good offensive line. Had good offensive line. They lost pieces. Anthony Costanzo is now Anthony because Dunzo. Like, now this is this is not an exciting team. I, they have like four good players. DeForest Buckner's a great player. I really like uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. I think obviously Quentin Nelson is is an outstanding player, and then Darius Leonard. And then maybe you go Overrated. into like, it. and then you go into like. Another tier of players, and you have like uh, Marlon Mack, you have Braden Smith, the right tackle. But that—that's it. This is not an exciting team. Now, I will—I will give the the Colts praisers. This I think Frank Reich is a really good coach. 
I, I don't love Chris Ballard the way that the national media does. I, I do really like Frank Reich. I, I think he is good at getting a lot out of a little. The problem is he has less than he's ever had now. And Carson Wentz is not going to be Ryan Tannehill 2.0 because Ryan Tannehill didn't stink in Miami. Ryan Tannehill was a serviceable starter in Miami. Fair, he, was, he was very average, like as average as you can be in Miami. Carson Wentz was awful the last couple of years in Philadelphia. The worst statistical quarterback in the NFL in 2020. These situations are not comparable. If anything, he's Marcus Mariota 2.0. Someone who was once good and then had a catastrophic injury and was mentally broken afterward. I'm sorry, but this Colts team, outside of the fact that they're well-coached, and that certainly counts for something, is not very exciting. I don't know who you're saying sorry to. Where you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, we don't like them either. Uh, Will probably hates them more than I do. Uh, I think they're okay. They're probably an eight and nine, nine and eight team. I think they're a roster made up of a lot of solid to maybe above average players, but they just don't have a high level of talent or, or a high level of. Of, of game changers like they don't have a lot of players that, that can just change the game for you I think Jonathan Taylor could be that but he's a running back and we've seen that they're really not all that important unless you have Derrick Henry uh and then you look at the receivers they're not good they're they're they're, they're underwhelming you said Darius Leonard was one of their four stars I think he's overrated I don't, I don't think he's all that great to be honest and they're about to pay him like 20 million dollars per year uh they're relying on two rookies I think at edge uh, to to replace Justin Houston, I like I don't know, man. Like they're okay, but I don't understand. This happens every year. the 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 Colts bandwagon, the Colts hype, uh, gets turned up a notch in the off season because, like you said, they have a good coach. I really like what what Reich does. Uh, I think he's he's a very good coach. Uh, definitely above average, but the roster is just is just okay. It, it's nothing to to write home about. Yeah, I think somebody had an interesting reply. Uh, you said, uh, can someone please explain to me what is so exciting about the Colts? Somebody said, the fact that they might be about to fall off a massive cliff of that, mediocrity I, and I band quarterbacks. Oh, okay, that is me. Okay, sorry. Yeah, that is me. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of different things I can say about why the Colts are bad. Um I think there's something to be said that uh, I believe that mm, I, I believe this is true that it, since Frank Reich has been the coach, every other uh, AFC South team has won the division title except for the Colts um, and that he's never won the division title. Uh, I know that every team has won the division title since the Colts last won it. So I, I'm just not sure if the Jaguars uh, won it before Reich was hired or if it was the year after that or the year before that. But I think I want to say Frank Reich has lost the division title to every single team in the AFC South. So that's bad. Uh, also, they have to replace, like Matias said, they have to replace Danico Autry, who played some edge and, you know, defensive tackle for him, uh, and Justin Houston with – Quiddy Pay and Deo Odigbo, and Odigbo's got an Achilles injury and won't even be able to practice until November. They also signed uh, 
Jake Fisher to a deal, to a one-year deal, but his Achilles exploded like right before the championship game. So he also won't be able to practice until like November. So they don't really have an answer at who's going to be their starting left tackle. And they may pay Quentin Nelson an extra $8 million and call him an offensive tackle slash guard because they're going to have to plug him in at left tackle and make themselves worse across the line. So that's also pretty bad. Then they're hanging their hopes on uh, Michael Pittman, taking a step forward which is cool until you realize that he had like 400 or 500 yards last year and he was like the number two receiver for the majority of the year and then ty hilton is barely alive and kicking and he constantly stays hurt and then paris campbell is a figment of our imagination so he's not real i mean their cornerbacks are like a collection of people who nobody wanted and who the colts messed up trading down to grab like it's just a really really bad roster but because people say that quentin nelson and darius leonard are the best players at their position in the league which even if that was true inside linebacker and guard are two of the three least valuable positions on the field. So that's cool. Like the Titans just signed the best long snapper in the NFL. So I guess we have that one too. So that evens out, but the roster is poorly constructed. It's, you know, they've traded first round picks. Uh, I think once the Wentz trade goes through, it will be two out of three years. And then the year before that, Ballard traded out of the first round down to the uh, second round so he could draft Rocky Sin, but he also missed uh, he missed drafting AJ Brown and everybody else that was above that pick. So it's just it's just a bad job. Like I mean, it, like and I'm, yep. I'm I mean that's that's my rant but I, I guess I was gonna say I'm not gonna go on a rant anymore because there's more stuff I could say but yeah. it's just it's not a very good team it's a team that people think is going to be good and then in December when nobody's talking about it they're gonna be like well next year we really didn't give Carson Wentz enough time with Frank Reich next year he's really going to be adapted to the system agreed on every front we're gonna take a pause now and then when we come back from said pause in 30 seconds we will hear from Ben Arthur, the new Titans beat writer for the Tennessean. We are certainly excited to have him on the show and give you all a chance to hear from someone who's going to be covering your team for the foreseeable future. So a quick break, and then Ben Arthur. We are joined now by, I believe, technically the newest member of the Titans beat. I, I can't think of anyone that has joined uh, since Ben Arthur started writing for the Tennessean. Ben, welcome to No Nonsense. Uh, we're glad to have you on and, and to give you a chance to talk to, to Titans fans as, as you join the beat and get started with training camp. Definitely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm definitely the the newest person on the beat. Uh, started like in in, in March. Um, I would know. I definitely would know if there, there was someone newer than me. Um, so, yeah, man, just get ready to get going. Excited for training camp. <laughs> camp to get started um you know on on wednesday so let's roll man i want to start by asking you this because this is a conversation that the three of us have pretty often especially on the tail end of the titans abysmal two years where they only won five games from like 2014 to 2015 up until really now it has seemed like as a whole national media and, and media who cover other teams has really just not understood at all what's happening in Tennessee 
you know, you see it on, on like ESPN and places like that where there's just this disconnect between reality in Tennessee and what sort of the national narrative is about the Titans. You, you've covered the Seahawks for the last couple of years, and of course you're an NFL fan, I'm sure, beyond that. Explain to us sort of when you got this job, because obviously now you're, you're studied up, what was your knowledge base on the Titans, and where did they fit into your sort of NFL map of relevance? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest uh, with you guys. I did not know a whole lot about the Titans coming in, even as they've sort of ascended in the last several years under, you know, J. Rob and, and you know, Brable coming in. I, I still didn't really know a whole lot. They didn't really pop onto my radar until all of a sudden they were in the AFC championship game in, in, in 2019 and they had beaten, you know, they basically ended the, the Tom Brady era in uh, New England. And then, you know, they, they got to the soup uh, to the AFC championship game before then, you know, honestly, I, I had not really heard. I mean, there was just not much chatter at least. I mean, I can only speak from, you know, kind of my lens being, you know, on the West coast. I just did not hear about the Titans a lot. And, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe it has to do with, with kind of the, the market, um, the market size, or, um, you know, it, it's kind of really hard to pinpoint, um, you know, why it, it's kind of been that way, but they've, you know, steadily kind of cut, the, you know, over kind of, so I covered the Seahawks from 2018 to 2020, so after like that AFC championship run, that's when they had sort of kind of arrived in, in my mind, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. And I saw just, but particularly the offense, right? Just how efficient the, their offensive machine was, you know, the run first play action, Ryan Tannehill, you know, resurrecting his career, so to speak, Derrick Henry, you know, becoming the franchise guy as a running back, which isn't as common now. Um, and so, um, so, so yeah, the, 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 the Titans have really kind of slid under the radar. I, I can definitely, you know, say that being, you know, from someone who's, who's come to Nashville and, you know, started to understand kind of what's going on here, like out in Seattle, I had no idea, um, you know, really kind of what, what Rabel and, and Rob, J Rob have kind of had brewing down here in Nashville the last few years. Hey Ben, Matias here. Uh, what has been the most stark difference between covering the Seahawks and covering the Titans so far? Uh, both Pete Carroll and Mike Rabel are kind of upbeat, hands-on type of coaches with the players. Uh, but are there a lot of differences in how their teams operate in practice? Well, for, from a practice operation standpoint, it, it's hard to say at this point just because I, I my only reference point is the off-season. Um, but... You know, kind of what, what I will say is that, you know, I think like with the Seahawks, they have, you know, so many or I, I should say more kind of high profile players, right? And it starts with Russell Wilson. I mean, he's one of the, you know, three three or four best quarterbacks in the NFL and just kind of his celebrity status. He's one of the few guys, I think, in the NFL who, who sort of kind of transcend just you know, just NFL stardom and kind of into more general pop culture or, or whatever. And, you know, obviously Ryan, I, I, Ryan Tannehill isn't on that level. And then, you know, DK Metcalf, I mean, he's been in the league just 
entering year three, you know, just as long as A.J. Brown, but he's really ascended quickly just because of the freak athlete he was entering entering the NFL and how fast he was able to run the 40 and just how he's kind of blown up. And then just kind of that aura, because, you know, I think a, a lot of people still remember just the Seahawks from, from the Legion of Boom years. And, and I think that is still, even though at this point it's been several years since the Legion of Boom, you know, has, has kind of been a thing. I think from a national perspective, that is still kind of lingered and has given the Seahawks um, still kind of that national prominence, which I don't, at least from, you know, being in, in Nashville so far, you know, the Titans don't, you know, have that aura, um, so to speak. So I, I would say that's kind of the biggest difference, kind of being on the ground here in Nashville, just how um, outside people uh, kind of view view the franchises. It, it's definitely a stark difference in my eyes. Yeah, and w- you talked a little bit about how you hadn't really gotten to see a ton of the on-the-field stuff, so I wanted to ask you about free agency. This is sort of an atypical year for the Titans where they went out and spent a bunch of money in free agency for – I don't know, probably the first time in five years or so. Uh, That's not historically how Seattle does it. I mean, Seattle is more about keeping their own guys, finding deals late, plucking that guy that everybody's like, oh, like a Justin Houston type where they'll sign him in, you know, right before the season and then he'll go and have eight sacks and they'll let him walk or they'll resign him or whatever. If you had a preference on how to build a team, do you think you would go with the Seattle way or with the way that the Titans did it where you typically don't spend, but when you do spend, you get two or three big ticket guys and then fall back to that supplemental signing later? Well, I think think when you look at the most successful franchises, they've kind of done the the Seahawks way, right? You know, preserving – you know, developing your draft picks, finding, um, you know, those good finds late in free agency after, you know, all the other teams, you know, spend big on like the marquee guys, finding just those guys that are like the right fit for you as kind of you, you were explaining. I think that's at least from, you know, what, what I've seen, I, I think that's kind of been the, the, you know, most common blueprint among the most successful franchises when you look at what not only the Seahawks have done, but also like the the Patriots um, are, are another team that, that comes to mind. Uh, the, the Ravens, to, to a certain extent, I think you give yourself the best chance of uh, success just in, in terms of the, lo- the long haul, where I feel like when you just kind of go for those marquee guys, you know, every year or every other year, it's always it always seems kind of like boomer bust. But whereas kind of like that more Seahawks, you know, Patriots strategy. Well, I guess the Patriots were kind of that they kind of went away from their typical strategy this offseason. Right. They, they just kind of spent a whole bunch of money. But for the most part, it's kind of been, you know, more methodical. Um, and I think, you know, that's that may be the kind of the, the best way to, to build a team. Um, not only just to make sure you're kind of developing the young guys at the right pace, but also you have kind of the right talent to be in contention and to make the playoffs year in and year out. One thing that John Robinson does not do is sit on his hands. When there is a clear problem, he stands up and, and fixes it. 
And the Titans' defense in 2020 was horrendous. I mean, it was unwatchable at times. And so John Robinson did what John Robinson does. He stood up and he went out and he, he did everything he could to fix it in the draft and free agency. So now you look at this Titans defense, Ben, and on paper, it's a drastic improvement from last year thanks to the addition of guys like Caleb Farley, who will get healthy pretty soon here, you would think, Bud Dupree. But at the same time, you can't just have these 11 guys out there and expect it to work. As Amani Hooker said a few weeks ago, they can't all be independent contractors. They have to be working sort of with one mind. Is it a reasonable expectation, Ben, when the season starts, for them to be working in that way? Or is this something that you think is going to take some time for it all to click? Yeah, Luke, I, I don't think it's reasonable to think that they're going to have it figured out early in the season. Um, just, you know, kind of with that Amani quote, right? Like, you need all your guys, like, practicing – and on the field and kind of doing all that on-field co- communication, right? And, and if you have guys like Bud Dupree and Caleb Farley, you know, really your two marquee defensive additions, um, and, and they're not able to, to, to play right now, I mean, how can you expect to have that continuity and that excellent communication you speak of um, early on? I, I think it's definitely going to take some time and um, – you know, yeah, and this is just kind of the, the gamble that J- that J. Rob has taken, right? Like, you know, with, with Farley, you know, we all know his upside, but you know, they they took him, understanding the patience that they're going to have have to have in, in getting him on the field. Like, we don't, there is no, I mean, no one really knows when when Caleb Farley is is going to be able to play. I mean, the the, ti- the Titans obviously hope sooner rather than later, but we're not sure exactly. Um, Bud Dupree, you know, even with, with him, we're, we're not sure exactly. And even when he does start playing, like how long is it going to take him to get to 100%, you know? So I, I think there are a lot of things to, to c- consider there. As you mentioned, I mean, from a personnel standpoint, on paper standpoint, they, they do look like a better unit, but I, I it's, it's hard. It's definitely going to take, some time if you ask me and and they're definitely going to be leaning you know very heavily on that offense to kind of to to lead the charge again um you know the offense offensive side of the ball is the most you know sure thing and and we all know kind of the the excitement around the julio jones uh move that that j-rob made this offseason so you know I, i think you know to I think, yeah, this defense, I believe, will be better, but I don't think we'll really see that until maybe, you know, kind of November, um, December, when, you know, it, it, everyone is getting healthy, um, you know, from an ideal standpoint, and, and they're able to kind of work together, then we'll kind of see that, that product, um, you know, that, you know, the Titans decision makers have, you know, kind of had that vision you know, this offseason when they were signing and adding these guys to the roster. Luke frequently mentions to us that Mike Evans is one of the players who shocked him in person from a talent and dominant presence kind of perspective. You've covered DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett with the Seahawks, and you got a glimpse of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown at OTAs and minicamp. Who would you consider as the wide receiver that has left the best impression on you in person? For the Titans? 
Just in general. Could be Metcalf. Oh, could just, be anyone else. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Man, in general, it has to be DK, man. I, I have never seen a wide receiver that big. Like, honestly, like, you know, you know, that first, uh, like, OTA after, you know, the Julio Jones trade was made, you know, and, and we were watching Julio kind of practice for the first time. Everyone was kind of talking about how big, like, Julio is. But, like, after watching DK Metcalf, like, the last two seasons, Julio looked, honestly, kind of small to me. Like, and, and that's no disrespect to Julio. Julio is, you know, I mean, he's he's as built as well as any you know, wide, wide receiver ever, but just, I mean, DK from a physical standpoint is, you know, something I've, I've never seen before that combination of, um, you know, strength, speed and athleticism is, you know, it's freakish. Um, so, you know, just from the eye test, uh, DK is the most impressive wide receiver I've ever seen. And then, um, I mean, I'd say kind of more generally, just as a receiver, period, like route running, you know, all that. I mean, I, I'd have to go to Seattle again and just say, you know, Tyler Lockett. I mean, he's he's a guy who's so small. He's like 5'11", uh, maybe 180. I'm not sure. Like, you'd think he'd just get pushed around um, and whatnot. But he's so savvy. He's such an excellent route runner. He's just always open. Um, and so I've always just been fascinated, you know, just kind of watching him work and, and getting upfield um, and whatnot. So the, the two receivers in Seattle, it, it, those two guys, DK and, and, and Tyler Lockett are, are definitely the most, um, are two of the most impressive guys I've seen at that position. Uh, that that kind of leads me into my question because we're talking about athletic freaks and you know you bring up Metcalf. I can't wait for you to see Derrick Henry in person. So that that kind of leads me into this question where ha- after so many years of you know let Russ cook like let him throw more at that being the outcry from you know Seahawks fans. How interesting is it for and you'll know more when you're in the stadium, but. How interesting will it be for you to be on the other side of that where everybody's just chanting Henry and everybody wants to see Derek Henry run behind Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold and Ben Jones and all those guys? Like, is that going to be a weird shift for you? Because, like I said, I know there's a big push to let Russ, like, throw as much as possible because you're just so good at it. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to kind of see, like, this, you know, Derek Henry – focused offense um you know some of the guys on the beat have told me you know how like when uh you know when, when it's clear that you know you know Derrick Henry's probably gonna rattle off a big run everyone gets like super excited you know just in, in the same way that maybe for another team you know you, you see like a big touchdown reception or a big, a big you know 40 50 yard reception uh people kind of get that way when they watch derrick henry run the ball and and start you know tossing guys and whatnot so i'm very much looking forward to that um you know but but you know even even though kind of in seattle there was that let russ cook push i mean for the most part i mean pete carroll has been a run first guy i mean it, it's kind of a theme with those defensive coaches right you know they, they want to run the ball um, and, and kind of manage, 
you know, the, the time, the, the clock in, in their favor. And so, you know, I have seen some, some great, you know, rushing performances. I mean, I think Chris Carson is maybe the most underrated running back in the NFL. I mean, he is so violent, um, you know, going downhill. Um, and so, you know, I have seen great, a great run game in, in Seattle before, but I mean, Derek Henry is just <laughs> another level. And so I'm very excited to see kind of that old school, um, you know, type, you know, run game with, you know, the, who's with a guy who's definitely the, the best running back in the NFL. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Ben, before we let you go with all of our guests that we're having on during training camp in the preseason, we're seeing where they would rank Ryan Tannehill in relation to the other NFL quarterbacks, because that's been a big topic of conversation for us. And I think around the NFL over the off season and how we're going to do this, Ben, is that we're going to speed go through all these other quarterbacks and first thing that pops to your head, I want you to tell me whether you would rather have this quarterback than Ryan Tannehill or whether it's a push. Do you think you can rise to that task? Okay, let's do it. And I think it'll be interesting, especially since you're sort of coming into this as a bit of an outsider since you're new new to the Titans. And we're just going to go alphabetically with NFL teams. We're going to start with the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. I'd go. Oof, that's oh, that's actually a tough one. Um, I well, okay, I'll go Tannehill. Okay, Tannehill for that one. Lamar Jackson. Lamar. Matt Ryan. At this point in their careers, uh, Tannehill. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Sam Darnold. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill, definitely. Joe Burrow. <laughs> Ooh. Right now, this year, not Ooh. the future. Right now, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. Right now, Tannehill. Burrow hasn't done anything yet, and he, and he missed a lot of last year. So, you know, I'll, I'll go with Tannehill. Justin Fields slash Andy Dalton. Tannehill. Baker Mayfield. Tannehill. Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. Drew Locke. Tannehill, easily. Jared Goff, I would hope, would be another easily. (laughs) Yeah, Tannehill, without a doubt. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. I'll go ahead and put Aaron Rodgers in the Aaron Rodgers category. Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz. Tannehill. Matthew Stafford. Stafford. Trevor Lawrence. Ooh, uh, Tannehill. Kirk Cousins. Tannehill. We'll skip over Patrick Mahomes. New Orleans Saints, whoever starts for them, <laughs> Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, I think that's a pretty easy one. Yeah, Tannehill, easy. L.A. Raiders and Derek Carr. L.V. Raiders, I should say. 
Tannehill. Danny Dimes and the New York Giants. Tannehill. Justin Herbert. Herbert. Jalen Hurts. Tannehill. Tua Tungavailoa. Tannehill. Jimmy Garoppolo slash Trey Lance. Tannehill. Cam Newton. Tannehill. Russell Wilson. I think I know the answer to this one. Yeah, Russ. Zach, <laughs> Zach Wilson. Tannehill. Tom Brady. I would hope. I would, I would think Tom Brady would be fall in the better category. Yep. Yep. Big, Tom. Tom the goat. Big Ben. Ooh, at this, yeah, it has to be Tannehill. Big Ben is not what he used to be. And finally, the Washington football team and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tannehill. So, so based on yours, Ben, Tannehill is a top 10 NFL quarterback, which I think yep. a lot of people around the league dispute. Yeah, in my eyes, he, he's definitely a top 10 guy. Um yeah, he's you know he, he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in in the NFL now. Um, you know, just whatever it is about this Titans offense, you know, run first, play action, you know, whatever. I mean, it's the perfect system for him, and and I think he's found his confidence. Um, and it, and then this year, man, it's going to be really exciting to see because he has another like superstar weapon on the outside in Julio Jones, and I think he could. Yeah you know, do even better, right? Uh, I think the only real question is, like, how does how does he work with Todd Downing and, and what exactly does the offense look like um, and, and what their rapport will look like just because Arthur Smith and Tannehill had such a great, you know, relationship and, and chemistry. I think that's really the only, um, you know, question mark. Um, but, but other than that, I mean, you know, I mean, Tannehill has everything he needs to be successful um, in, in 2021, even more so than, you know, in 2020. Absolutely. You, you, Will, you have something? From a- yeah, I was going to say, uh, my, like, my conspiracy theory slash prediction for this year is there's really not a win scenario for Tannehill other than, I guess, winning the Super Bowl because – because John Robinson's done such a good job putting talent around him, now it's basically if he has another great year like he did in 2020, everybody's going to say, yeah, but he had Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. And then if he doesn't have as good of a year as last year, it's going to say, like, yeah, like it was just a fluke year. So I, I, I'm I'm very interested to see how that narrative plays out because it is – I mean – he is replacing Corey Davis with Julio Jones, which should be an upgrade. But at the same time, I don't know if he's going to have a huge statistical difference just because they don't pass that much. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where the narrative ends up on Tannehill. Well, Ben, we certainly appreciate you joining the show and everyone listening. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Y Arthur. I am very excited, Ben, to see what all you have coming our way as you get started in your work as the Tennesseans Titans beat writer. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciated it. Again, you can follow Ben on Twitter, at Ben Y. Arthur. 
certainly appreciate him taking the time to join us. He was fantastic. We will certainly look to get him back on in the future. Guys, before we do stop the nonsense, there's one more topic I think we should talk about, and that is training camp reporting. Because media availability, as we talked about last week, is sort of going back to normal for the most part. Um, I'll be there every day this year instead of like last year where it was every four days, every five days or whatever. Um, but in general, training camp reporting can sometimes get very old. Not to do, but to read. But you, you get these stupid tweets like with stats and these dumb cliches. Like one word I have, I'm, I'm going to try to just completely eliminate from my training camp vocabulary is work. Unless it immediately precedes the word on, you know, such and such and players working on, or, or, you know, you know, this player's working on getting better at such and such. But this whole so and so doing work today, getting work done, and also the whole like, uh, you know, look at this person getting in some work at running back, or this this person getting some work on. It's so like I hate that word, and and and. Uh, do y'all have anything like that with training camp that just drives you bonkers? Yeah, I hate everything about it. Every tweet I see, <laughs> I, every video of like people doing the individual drills, I just do not care, man. I really don't. But I understand, like it, it's their job and, and they have to do it. So I like, I don't, I don't hate. Oh, I mean, for I, it. I do it and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just like. It's so monotonous, and it really just just doesn't contribute anything. But I, I just don't really like training camp in general. I I, it, I know it's important for the players uh, to get on the same page with each other and with the coaching staff. Uh, but to me, it's just like a colossal waste of time, entertainment-wise, from my perspective. Okay. Will thinks the so opposite. I'll be the voice of the people here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so y'all remember that clip? From uh, OTAs, where Julio Jones was basically running. Well, square. that is the that is not that doesn't count. Come okay? on. Uh, okay, <laughs> listen. I also thought that I didn't care about uh, training camp, like tweets and clips and stuff of people running through drills. But damned if I didn't watch that clip five hundred times. And yeah, I'll be if I don't watch every one of them that he does because it. You know the quote tweet, and you know it's all just advertising. But the the tweet is just going to say. Uh, you have to love Julio Jones explosion here. And then it'll be a quote tweet. Watch how he sinks his hips. It's like, look at that footwork. And I'm like, well, I got to watch it. And then I'll watch <laughs> yeah. it eight times. And then two days later, see, I'll scroll through my favorites while I'm on the elliptical. And I'll say, let me see that clip again. And I'll watch them. And before I know it, I will have watched them all 50 times. So I understand the frustration, but you so have to remember that we're talking about the Olympics and all this other non-sport stuff that's happening right now. And I feel like my eyes are bleeding and I like, I, I will watch, I will watch those dumb, like look at these guys stretch and walk five step videos before I watch an Olympic highlight. Um, I mean, I'm kind of with you on, on the Olympics. I just, as a side note, I just don't really care a whole lot. As Same. I'm with you. But um, man, I, I want to add an addendum or, or make an addendum to what I said. I think there is good training camp reporting. I just think a lot of it is bad and lazy and uninteresting. And, and the videos, you know, you have to post the videos because I, I know you guys listening to the podcast love the videos. 
the difference is, I think for someone like me who is there every day and I post the 5,000th video of Ryan Tannehill running the same drill where he rolls to the right and throws to Matt Thompson, the equipment guy. Okay, I've seen it so many times. But I have to remember, for you all, it is different. Uh, and there are great stories that came come out of training camp. I think training camp is one of the best times of the year for, for stories and, and, and reporting. It's just like I get tired of the like, Marcus Mariota was four for five today for two hundred yards. I like that's so dumb. Like it's that it's that kind of stuff that just drives me nuts. Yeah, and especially when it's play by play like that with stats from only the goal line plays that they run. Like I come on, man, it's really not not worth it. Now I, I want to read this. I sent this to you all earlier today. This is from the reporting guidelines that the Titans emailed to reporters today. And this is not new information. This is has governed practices for years. But I want to have a discussion on it. Uh, okay. Reporting on items relating to competitive advantage will not be allowed, such as where players are lining up, depth chart items, substitutions, Scheme-related observations on offense, defense, special teams, etc. Which means, if Darrington Evans is playing in the slot, I cannot tell you that. If Elijah Molden is playing in the slot instead of Christian Fulton. If Elijah Molden is playing safety. I cannot tell you that. Technically, according to these rules. I can tell you... This dude sucks, or this dude is great. And, look, I know the team doesn't care, but I don't understand what the benefit is. Like, what do they think they're hiding? Like, do, do people, do they honestly think that because I observe that Elijah Molden is playing in the slot and tweet that, that the Houston Texans are going to be all over that? You know, I don't know. I think it's foolishness. So do I, but I feel like and, 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 and I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but let me just step in. This is not unique to the Titans. This is pretty uniform across the league from what I understand, but go ahead, Matias. No, yeah. NFL head coaches are very paranoid. Well, I mean, head coaches in every sport are very paranoid. Uh, some of them, rightfully, because there's a lot of spying going on in, in some of these sports, but I, I, I just don't understand what... What? Who gets hurt with some of this information being out there? Sure, maybe uh, another team, a division rival, might know. Like you said, they are playing Elijah Molden in the slot, but a lot of this stuff they already know. <laughs> like they already know this was going to happen. So I, I don't know. It, it's just so so paranoid and really so over the top. But this is just how a lot of teams operate, and, and unfortunately, the times are, are one of them. Yeah, it's it's super weird that we, we do these things where we can see this, but then they'll have draft videos leading up to the draft with people talking about their processes, and then you'll see draft room meetings and all that kind of stuff. It's like the there's not the, there's a weird perception of things that people think uh, give other teams uh, some sort of competitive advantage. Look, if you're that worried about it. Run five plays where you line up Taylor Lewan or wide receiver. You're never going to do that in a game. 
But if you're so worried that everything that gets reported is going to be something that they have to think about, make them think about as much stuff as they possibly can. Like, <laughs> who cares? Like, I don't like do your do your like incognito secret stuff. Like, do all your tricky plays the two weeks you have before the before the uh, first game of the season. Like, you, teams put in gadget plays and stuff like that for like every week in like a two day period consistently throughout the year. There's no reason why you can't do your basic stuff here and then do your wrinkles onto that later. Like if you're, I I just don't get it. Like why not just practice a certain way, set your base thing and hook people into thinking, okay, the Cardinals are going to think that we're going to play with Anthony Ferks or split off to the off wide. Like, if you think it's that much of a competitive advantage, use that to your benefit. Like, but I, I guess to them, it doesn't matter whether people know what's going on or not. They see like media people as more of a nuisance than anything. But it, from from somebody who reads that coverage, it is frustrating to know how how limited everybody is. That's what that stuff is. What the group chats for the the secrets. <laughs> Yeah, the the secret like uh, Patreon account. <laughs> All right, it is time for stop the nonsense. Who who would like to kick us off? I I'll got go this. Okay, you go, you go ahead, Matthias. You go ahead, Matthias. Now mine's quick. Uh, my stop the nonsense is just Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk. <laughs> they yeah. they have just been declining for the past couple of years, really for the last decade. Uh, I barely read them anymore, and Mike Florio has always had kind of like this weird personality. Uh, and, and lately, he's just been getting—he's been getting cooked. He's been getting destroyed because, first of all, this all started with the Aaron Rodgers situation, where he posted an article, and his sources were sports books, like sports betting books, uh, and he wrote an article saying. Is Green Bay 2021 over under win totals disappear from places like DraftKings, PointsBet, and Westgate? Multiple sports books reportedly believe Aaron Rodgers will be retiring next week. Like, come on, man. If you're a professional news organization working for NBC Sports, you cannot cite a sports betting book as, <laughs> as, as, as like a credible source it's absolutely insane uh and then like two days later whatever it, it comes out that Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay so that was hilarious and then David Bakhtiari had, had come out with a tweet a sarcastic tweet uh saying like that. that he wasn't a part of of Aaron Rodgers inner circle very sarcastic everyone could tell it was sarcasm Pro Football Talk picks it up, and they run an article saying David Bakhtiari indicates Aaron Rodgers hasn't told him he's coming back to the Packers. Oh, my god! And gosh. then David Bakhtiari responds. This is and he's like, chill. I'm not disputing report. Moreover, is, I'm disheartened. <laughs> this is why we created this segment. Oh, my God. I, I can't get over it. Uh, sorry. I'm disheartened that I'm not considered quote-unquote, close people to Aaron, please keep me in your thoughts and prayers during this time. So that's hilarious. They got <laughs> pooped on again. And then today, again, no. uh, Bruce Arians is, is doing his press conference, uh, and he goes on, like, a profanity-laden uh, uh Bruce Arians? Profanity? No. Yeah, believe it or not. 
And essentially, he's just lashing out at a post by Pro Football Talk uh, about bans being worn by vaccinated and unvaccinated Bucks players. Uh, and he essentially said that that was completely wrong and to not spread information that he didn't say. Uh, and they've just been getting they, they've been getting destroyed. And honestly, it's about time because this has been this has been coming for a while, to be honest. Yeah, I think you're right that their relevance is slipping. Yeah, well, the problem is, is like they're all like like the the faster social media gets, the less relevant they are. Like, weren't they, weren't, weren't they the ones saying that the Titans were going to like get sit to Guantanamo Bay during the COVID outbreak last year? I think they were one of them. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were the ones that were like going to be docked at least fourteen picks, and like they'd never be allowed to go to the playoffs, and they'd have to get a bowl ban, even though they don't do bowls. Like it was insane, which uh, brings me to mine. Which my stop the nonsense is, uh, I, I don't know what Texas thinks they're getting themselves into, but for Texas and Oklahoma, like they're going to the SEC, and that's you know. More power to them, SEC Super Conference, I'm all for it. But people forget that two weeks ago, they basically tattletailed and told uh, Big 12 officials, they were like, please stop making people do the horns down symbol. It's too mean and we don't like it. And I can promise you that you're going to get a whole bunch of that in the SEC and it's going to be much, much worse. So I don't really know how to direct this stop the nonsense to the at anybody other than I guess the people in charge of Texas because why would you go out like that like why would you make such a big deal that you basically force your conference to say okay you guys can't do that y'all are being too mean to Texas and then two weeks later you know you take your ball and go like it to me I, I'm not saying that Texas like is soft, but I don't know. Like, I don't know how anybody can like respect them as a powerhouse. I, I just, I don't know. Like well, to be a powerhouse, you have to win football games. Yeah. And it's hard because, uh, I'm a proud Tennessee Vols fan and, uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been, it's been a little bit for us. So I understand where they're coming from, but you know, Tennessee is the opposite. And maybe that's why I have such strong opinions on this is, Tennessee's gotten their teeth kicked in by the SEC for nigh on a decade, especially Alabama. And, you know, call it ignorance, call it whatever. But if we, you know, damn, if we don't schedule Alabama every single year, we don't have to do it, but we do it out of the kindness of our hearts because we love Alabama. Like, was it for Saturday, for Saturday in October? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is, but like, or it's a uh, third Saturday in October. Is that right? I can't remember. I can't it's, remember. It's always the fourth game of the year because it's always, uh, in my head at least, it's garbage game, garbage game, Florida, Florida Alabama, Georgia. Like you just get like that murder gauntlet. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh, you went from two and zero oh to two and six. It's like great, and it happens every year. But we don't cry to everybody and say like y'all can't be mean to us and said like. It's it's just going to be a nightmare for them. So they're used to being the big fish in the pond and being able to dictate whatever they want. That's not going to happen in the SEC, and I am fascinated to see what happens. So my stop the nonsense 
might actually just be a misunderstanding on my part. I'm not sure. But there seems to be this problem within the medical industry of I show up at a doctor's office on a Saturday morning, and I'm the only person there other than the techs working the counter. And yet it is still 45 to 50 minutes before I'm seen by a physician. I get taken to a room. They weigh me. They, like, ask questions about my symptoms or whatever. And then I sit there for 40 minutes. The last time I went to it, let me give you an example. So, some of you know, maybe some of you don't know. I have this sort of side thing where I write musical theater, music and lyrics. And I'm a painfully slow lyric writer. The last time I went to the doctor, I solved a lyrical problem that I was having and wrote basically an entire bridge of lyrics while I was waiting for the doctor to see me after I had been taken in. And I was like the only person there. Or like one of only two or three people. Why? What, what is taking so long? I legitimately, like, if you're listening to this show and you're a medical professional, whether you're a doctor or a tech or a nurse or whatever, please let me know why this is taking so long. I, I, I do not get why going to the doctor when I have a sinus infection has to turn into an hour and a half long ordeal. Every time. Every time. It's very annoying. I don't get it. I don't, it's always a super calm atmosphere, though. Like, you like being in a place where you don't know if you're going to be told you're dying and, you know, where <laughs> all the people around you are always... Without a doubt. Without <laughs> being yeah, around a lot they, of sick they people. Even yes, before, like they don't have before, any problems. They're... Even before COVID, <laughs> doctor's like, offices were gross. Truly, like, being in a doctor's office is like... We're going to take the people who feel the worst, who are the most unhappy, give them 10 pages of paperwork and make them sit in this room for arbitrary reasons for 45 minutes. And we'll just see what happens behind this like double paned glass. Like it's a nightmare. All right. That is going to do it for us. Training camp is here. And so are we. We will be back next week. We'll bring on another guest from the Titans beat to play our Ryan Tannehill games, get their thoughts on the upcoming season. We're just a couple of weeks away from preseason games, so that's something exciting to look forward to. Uh, But until the next time you hear from us, I'm Luke for Will and Matias reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Oh, Matias.